0: You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Mission to sit. But you all, it's like, no, we're sitting. Uh, all right, you see? We could all learn a little bit, I think. Uh, guys, let's pray together. Jesus, we, are, we know that your presence is here, but I pray we would have spiritual eyes to see you this morning. We know that you are willing to engage with us, but I pray that we would have soft hearts and willing spirits to give more space to you this morning. God, we pray for those who are not with us today, who are finding community, difficult, maybe finding uh, life burdensome. God, it's our prayer that you would meet them where they are, you would encourage them and encounter them with your spirit, we we pray. Father, we pray for those across our, our province, across our country who are walking through Evacuations and warnings of evacuations and, and loss of home. Do those who are fighting to preserve uh, property and, and and forests. Those who are running in while others are running out. God, I pray you would bring safety to these men and women. And God, we pray for rain. We pray for a change in the wind. Whatever it is, I pray that you would you would bring uh, bring relief to the fires that are going on right now. Uh, provide for for their needs. Provide for our needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We pray that you would speak to us this morning in your name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us or if you're forgetful, um, uh, we've been walking through a series for like three months uh, called A New Humanity. And what we're discussing is uh, what, what has been known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, Jesus, kind of his inaugural speech, where he proclaims his kingdom, and then he he describes what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom that we we look like the king, that we want to live a life like the king. And so we've been listening to all sorts of things about how we live with mercy, about how we ought to forgive, about uh, whether or not we should take oaths. Um, when, when someone does an injustice to, injustice to us, how should we respond and things like this. And today, we come to everyone's favorite, do not judge. How many times have we pulled that out when someone calls us on something? We say, do not, hey, Jesus says, thou shalt not judge a good one. I used to have a friend who used to say that any time I questioned anything about him. He would say, hey, Jesus says do not judge, as if that was the end of the conversation. So what does Jesus mean when he says uh, do not judge? And some of us, if we're in our more sober moments, uh, or maybe if we're a close friend with that someone or married to that someone, we'll say, oh, they, yeah, there's a lot of judging that goes on. Um, I think in the last month or so, um, one of my siblings uh, my sibling, excuse me. One of my children said to their sibling and to my wife, "Sometimes Brad's not doesn't act like a pastor." <laughs> ah, but it's true, and that's and that and that was part of the reason is probably the way I was speaking about other people and making some judgment calls. I was speaking to someone this week who, uh, when they were in therapy, their therapist called them on that. They said, "You know, you do a lot of judging of people," and and she said, "Well, well." I don't think I do very much. I mean, I know I do it sometimes. And then the therapist suggested that every time she caught herself making a judgment call to take her watch off one hand and put it on the other. And then when she judged again, put it back and put it on the other. And her arms got very tired, apparently, because she found that she was doing it uh, all day. My guess would be if I did that with this uh, wonderful bracelet that my daughter gave me, that uh, I would snap it very soon because I'd be doing it back and forth. I think if we're honest with ourselves, judgment is something that comes pretty easy. Uh, It's modeled everywhere in our lives. It's modeled in politics. It's modeled in in social media, on the news. Um, So what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? There's a few things I want us to, to keep in mind as we look at this text today. First is this, making judgments is not the same as being judgmental. Making judgments is not the same as being judgmental. We have to make judgments every day. Some of us, we making judgments about wearing a mask today or going outside because of the smoke. We make judgments about whether or not we should exercise, uh, whether or not we should hit the snooze button. Um, some of us make, don't, don't make a judgment at all. We just keep pressing the snooze button. But what we eat, are we, we going to eat uh, just something with nutritional value, or is it just going to be Nutella and chicken nuggets all the time? Or is it going to be, you know, a nice uh, chicken salad with, with uh, you know, eight gallons of water all day? We always make judgments. Right now my son is making a judgment about whether or not he should drive his car because there is a list as long as his arm, and he's got long arms, about reasons why he should not be driving that car. So he made the judgment that he will borrow my car <laughs> because I am gracious and kind. And that was, so far that judgment has been proven wise because I give it to him all the time. Morally, we make decisions too, and really, that's what Jesus is getting on at. This is this is a, a, a metaphor for moral correction. We daily choose a framework for our lives. Every single one of us in this room, when we, when we have to make decisions, we, we, we have a framework for which we are doing that. And we're, we're deciding, am I going to uh, make moral decisions based on a, a, a finite understanding of the world, or am I going to use the wisdom, and this is what Jesus is calling us to, God's eternal kingdom, a wisdom that belongs to God's eternal kingdom. Our decisions are a result of the story we find ourselves in. Anglican minister William Ralph Ng said it this way, he said, whoever marries the spirit of this age will find himself a widower in the next. We want to be very careful. Are we making decisions that that are for the long game, or are we making them for the day? So we make decisions based on the long game, if we, if we are Christ followers, kingdom-wise. Kingdom the Apostle Paul, some of us might know him as St. Paul, writing a letter to the church in Rome, he said this in Romans sixteen nineteen. I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Uh, Peter writes this in one of his letters, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This all implies there are unwise choices I'll I'll be done eventually. There are unwise choices, unwise ideologies that we need to make judgments about. And in light of that, we make judgments about the world and how we ought to live. The other thing I want to point out about before we jump into this text uh, is that Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the Christian community It's specifically about Christian community and morality. In verses 3 to 5, he mentions your brother or your sibling. He says it three times. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, this is how you ought to live out the kingdom in my kingdom community and it ought to look different. Now, hey, if you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Christ follower, hey, good news, you can do as much judging as you want. It won't be wise, but you can do as much judging as you want. But if we are Christ followers, if we are united with Christ, as Scripture describes, we are united with his people, which means we are in for the long haul. We're in for the long relationship. And so we need to be very careful in how we think and how we interact with each other. So here's the question of the text that we're wrestling with. This is what Jesus is going after. And it's long. It's convoluted. How do we mutually walk towards and with Jesus? as his new community, helping each other remove those bits that keep us from more of him. Because that's always the goal. I've said that many times in this series. The best thing Jesus can give you is more of himself. Every Sunday, we don't want to leave here on a high because the worship is great, as great as it is. We don't want to leave here because that preacher, man, he was charismatic. Man, he had some energy. Man, that was funny. Side note, I remember once preaching a sermon that I felt really good about. I thought I was like convicting and everything and someone said, that was such a funny sermon. I didn't like that. Anyway, <laughs> our goal is to leave here going, man, I love Jesus more. Man, I feel more connected with my Savior. So how do we as a Christian community mutually walk towards and with Jesus as his new community, helping each other remove those bits that keep us from more of him? Well, first, we remember our own mercy-constructed story. If you are a Christ follower, if you are, are you, if you are a Christian, you are there because of the mercy of Jesus and the mercy of God the Father. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There was a Jewish understanding that God had these two containers, that he had one that was full of judgment and wrath, and one that was full of mercy. And so basically, Jesus is saying, which one are you going to draw from? Because whichever one you draw from is the one that God's going to give you more of. So if you doll out mercy, God's going to keep filling up your mercy container. If you doll out judgment, he's going to (laughs) keep filling that judgment. And he doesn't just fill it up for you, he pours it on you. So what would you like? Make sure you are dealing from the mercy container. He is prohibiting the condemnation of others with a spirit that is unfair, unloving, harsh, overly critical... Because those are character traits that are the opposite of the virtues that saved us. They're the opposite of the characteristics of God the Father. Again, Paul explains these have no place in the life of someone who says that their identity is found in Christ. In Romans 3.27, he says this. He says, where then is boasting? Where are you going to come up with boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. No. Because of the law that requires faith. We live under a new law if we live in the kingdom of God. It's a new kind of humanity where the judgment that would be thrown on us by God has been abolished. And in its place, there's this new kind of mercy that's been thrown on us. Based on a complete throwing off of our own accomplishments and saying, I'm not going to rely on myself, I'm going to rely on what God says about me. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not by works, you can't pull it off. So that no one can boast. In other words, as a Christ follower, you're invited into a new way of of seeing yourself in light of the gospel, and a new way of seeing others. All, All the perfection that you can claim is not yours, it's a gift from God. So then how could we possibly stand in anywhere above someone else and make judgment when anything good about us is something that's been given to us and and thrown on us by Jesus? To do so is to place the gospel aside and to try doing life on our own merit. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do life on my own merit. I drained that a long time ago. And when we do that, when we say, I'm going to judge according to to, to, to the judgments that I've created. I'm going to judge according to how I, how I picture myself better than you. The minute we do that, we're removing the protection of the gospel and placing it next to ourselves and saying, I can do this on my own. I don't need Jesus. Whew. Good luck. To live that way is an invitation, as one translation of, of this verse says, is that God will be as hard on you as you are on others. Sit there for a moment. Think about the thoughts that you've had about other people this week. We live in the beautiful, good news that God looks at us and calls us children, his own children that he loves and he adores. Imagine if God swapped out how he feels about you with the way you have judged and thought about other people. I don't know that we, any of us would be sitting here. So, how do we mutually walk towards and with Jesus as his new community, helping each other remove those bits that keep us from more of him? While well, we remember our own mercy-constructed story, but we also, we need to keep checking our vision. We need to keep going to the eye doctor. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is being comical. He's making jokes. He's, he's being comical, but he's calling out hypocrisy. Now I'm going to show you a picture that's going to give you the heebie-jeebies. Go ahead and show that picture, Jake. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable, we'll show the next one. You just made it a little smaller. Okay. If you went, now, the reason most people feel uncomfortable with a picture like that, why? Why would, why would we feel uncomfortable with a picture like that? Why does that give some, make some people uncomfortable? Feels intrusive. Feels intrusive. Oh, that's good. Very good. Painful? <clears throat> Could be. Yeah. Oh, let's go back to the other picture. Let's, let's save that one. Intrusive, painful, a very, very delicate area of the body, very sensitive and very exposed, right? When we judge other people, we're hitting a very sensitive, very exposed aspect of that person. Jesus says you need to be very careful when you do that. Now, if you went to have LASIK surgery and they have your eye all propped open like that, and someone walks in with a patch over one eye and pink eye in the other eye, and kind of twitchy from their medication for their pink eye, it would be very wise for you to leave that place. And it's very unwise for them to be doing that job in that kind of condition. Jesus says, when you lean in on someone else's spiritual health, when you are unaware of your own health issues, With a a type of blindness, that's a double blindness. You're not noticing your own, and you can't see theirs when that happens. So in an attempt to help someone else, you'll actually do more damage. And many of us have been been the receivers of that. When people have said, you know, out of their faithful, Christ-loving heart, they want to lean in on our lives, and they do it with a lack of humility, and with a lack of understanding their own blindness, they've done more damage. If we do not see clearly, we will cause more damage to those who we are trying to help. He says, your brother or your neighbor or your sibling, they, they might have a speck in their eye. The word for speck there could be anything. It could be the slightest irritation in their eye. A bit of, a bit of wool, if it's a shepherd, might have got a little speck. Someone's shucking something or the, a bit of chaff has got in from, from the wheat. And I don't know if any of you have ever, you know, had, oh, I've got something in my eye and you go to your friend or your spouse and they go yes, like And then all of a sudden, they become like an optometrist. Like, turn to the left. Turn to the right. Look to the right. Look up. Look down. I go, ah, uh, uh, all I don't know. We all think we're experts at that point. And, and sometimes you'll do that, and you don't see anything. But you're like, well, you know, you don't just tell them to scratch until they find something. It's delicate. You need to be careful. It's almost imperceptible. That's what Jesus says is on, is on one side of this. And then he says, says, he says but in, in your eye, you're going to try to help that person with something almost imperceivable in their delicate eye, and you've got a plank in your own eye. The, the Greek there is dakos. It can literally mean a load-bearing beam. So imagine, that, I mean, Jesus would have got some laughter. You're like, tell us another one, Jesus, that's so good. He probably would have got, he would have had some laughter. In his crew there, with imagining someone with this giant beam in their eye trying to pick out a little speck in someone else's eye. He's being purposely, purposefully ridiculous, comparing the insignificant with the enormous in the moral realm. It illustrates the ignorance of making a judgment without reflection. Pointing out our own proud condition can often preclude us from helping those who we truly could help. A few years back, I wanted to, um, to get contacts, and so I went to the uh, optometrist, and, uh, you know, they, they, they checked my eyes again to see where I was at, and then they ordered boxes and boxes of contacts for me. So I went to pick them up, and I went to leave, and they went, whoa, 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 you got to show us that you can put them in your eye first. So I had to sit down and gouge my eye for a while, trying to get this contact in, I spent 45 minutes, and my eyes are just running and and bloodshot. And then, to be helpful, someone came in to assist me. And she's like, see, it's easy. Pops it in, pops it out. See, look, it's easy. Follow me. It's easy. Do this. Do this. She failed to realize that she had giant bowling ball eyes that were really easy to put things in and out. I don't begrudge this horsey-eyed woman, but it just wasn't fair. It, there seemed to be no empathy for my tiny little eyes and my wonky eyelashes. I couldn't get it in. So I spent literally by the time I was done because I kept coming back and they wouldn't let me leave with them. I had to keep, keep going back, spend 45 minutes in there just trying to put it, take it in and put it out of my eye. Um, I don't wear contacts because I was never able to pull it off. And bowling ball eye lady did not seem to have the patience with me to actually teach me how to do it. I learned two things from that experience. One was I needed help (laughs) to improve my vision. And two, I needed empathy and understanding and a desire to aid me in my vision. That's true of our spiritual vision as well. It, it, it is true of, of our walk towards Jesus. Of our, our walk is, is communal. It's, it's reliant on Christ, but it's also reliant on community for the long haul, for spiritual health, and for spiritual clarity. We are meant to have others look at our life and humbly step in and aid us. That is the one thing that I have experienced as a pastor that people do not like about Christian community. That Christian community is actually invited to and is meant to in a humble, healthy way to step in and say, I think you're making unwise decisions. And so there have been those that I have tried to speak to as a pastor, and I've said, hey, can we just talk about this? They said, you're being judgmental, I'm out. And they've just left the church. That's one of the hardest things that a pastor, as a pastor, if I'm honest, to, to think we're walking in relationship as a community and then to say, hey, can I, can I lovingly just step, step into this and to have them shut me out and shut out our community. And it's happened a handful of times. But when we say yes to Christian community, we're saying, yes, let's do this journey together and let's lovingly lean into each other. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> so you guys are welcome to, to lean in. I mean, maybe just one email a week, but you're welcome to lean in. We're meant to have others look at our life and humbly step in to aid us. We need to humbly accept and humbly offer wise judgments. So what does that mean for us? What, what, how, do we, how do we take this? Out? Well, it means that there's a difference between how brothers and sisters act and how those outside of the family act. And that's what Jesus gets to near the end. See, there's a, there's a contrast between a family lovingly carrying each other's burdens and mutually, humbly offering correction and humbly accepting. Uh, that there's, a, there's, there's an opposite to that as well. Jesus says this in in verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. There are some people who do not want to hear your humble wisdom and your humble judgment. In other words, in light of what Jesus has been saying, there may be those, and in Jesus' case, those would be the Gentiles who, have no, who had no interest at the time of, of being formed into more of the image of Christ, who will viciously oppose a loving correction, whose heart is both hardened and fragile by a lack of solid ground beneath them, that any attempt to point to the gospel or forgiveness or correction will be met with venom. And many of us have experienced that. Many of us see that on social media. When anyone tries to correct somebody, I mean, nobody steps out of social media and goes, thanks, I've changed my mind. That's not how it works, ever. Jesus says those people do not see the gospel and they don't see the life that comes with it and the beauty and the treasure that it is. Like elsewhere, Jesus says, you may may have to move on from some people because they will turn with venom and, and try to bite and attack. Their hearts are in a place that they cannot hear it. So if if any of us are wondering this morning, how come nobody ever steps in and corrects me? That that might be why. (laughs) Think of how you've responded when people have tried to lovingly walk with you and correct you. When Jesus says, do not judge, that is only half the idea. It doesn't mean we never call anyone on anything. But it does mean this. Jesus' words mean that we make judgments in light of who we are as imperfect people. We always approach on equal ground with anybody we want to walk along with. We're fully aware of our own insufficiencies and, and the sin in our lives. If we are not, we will do damage to other people. As a, as a, a tool to use, and I, I've done this myself, um, I would say that Psalm 51 Psalm 51 is mandatory reading for any time you feel you need to lean in on anybody else's life. King David, who wrote Psalm 51, the ancient king of Israel, who had sinned against God, against the woman Bathsheba, her husband Uriah, and the nation of Israel, he responded to his sin with humble prayer and and, and a recognition of his own sin. Now, I'm going to read Psalm 51 verses 1 to 13 in a moment. And I want to invite you to think of the person that you've been harboring judgment for. Whether it be you've just been harboring judgment or you think, man, I'm going to go tell that person what's wrong with their life, that things are going to get messy at Cafe Divano's this week when I lean in and tell them what I've been feeling. I want you to think about that person who's been making morally destructive decisions, keeping them from from more of Jesus. This is how we prepare our hearts to minister in a healthy way. Before you speak to them, I want you to pray this prayer that David does. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb, and taught me, you taught me wisdom in the secret place. Clean me with with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God." Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, that's when he gets to this point, then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. He goes through a lot before he gets to that point. May we have that heart that understands the salvation so clearly that's been offered us. That that daily we wake up and we think, I'm breathing in and out because my God is full of grace. I'm breathing in and out because Jesus is sustaining me through another day. Dutch writer and theologian Henry Nouwen said, only wounded healers have a right to heal. Only those who understand their own deficiencies, their own need for the gospel, their own need to be, to be chiseled away at and, 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 and rebuilt and recreated in the image of Christ. Only when we see that do we have a right to humbly step into the lives of others, to walk with them. We need to realize that it is never our disapproval of others that will make them change. It doesn't work. Many of us grew up in families where it was just disapproval, disapproval, disapproval. And that can force a change, but it won't change a heart. But love and acceptance and humility will change a heart. It's this desire for, a uh, humble desire for reconciliation. So Jesus' words mean we, we can make judgments in light of on, and only when we understand that we are imperfect people, but also in light of who we both are as Christ's people. Living in a new story, in Galatians 6, 1-2, and this again, something to keep in mind, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, how? Gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, carry each other's burdens, and in this you will fulfill the law of Christ. What Jesus is all for is those who love the other so much that they don't want to see the other person miss out on anything that Jesus would like to do in their lives. And the best thing that he can do is to give more of himself. That's our goal. That's always our goal. Whenever we're, whenever we're having a problem with someone else, our goal is always reconciliation. It's not that they will be seen how wrong they are and then ask for forgiveness. Our goal is always to live in unity, and reconciliation. Some of you have heard me say this before, and and it's something that my wife and I have talked about many times, is that because we're in what we would call a covenantal relationship in our marriage, we understand that what is said right now in this moment has implications not only for five minutes from now, but for five years from now, and two decades from now, because neither of us plan on going anywhere. In a church, it's the same thing. When we unite ourselves with Christ, we unite ourselves with his community. That's why when we get baptized, we, we get come up out of the water and everyone screams because these now are your brothers and sisters. You are now in a covenantal relationship with each other. When we, when we do church together, we are living in a covenantal, eternal relationship. This is a segment of his eternal kingdom. That means that the way you speak to your brother or sister has implications, not just for five minutes from now, (laughs) five years from now, decades from now, as we sometimes sing, 10,000 years from now. (laughs) You're going to be sitting next to that person at a banquet. It's the same for our church family. In the same way that the, the model of correction in Scripture was public and it was shaming and some Pharisees and other religious leaders even today have have some of the same characteristics. We have a lot of shaming and very little forgiveness and grace these days. We all know this. We can see reputations are destroyed in a tweet. People you didn't know about yesterday, you know are the enemy of the world today. How does this happen? Because we have all sorts of things we want to judge people on. But we have very little grace and forgiveness and zero humility, it seems. And what will make our faith attractive, what does make the Christian faith attractive, this church attractive, what will make a community is a community that humbles and humbly walks towards Jesus, restoring each other gently accepting correction in humility and carrying each other's burdens for the purpose of mutually walking towards and with Jesus as his new community, helping each other remove those bits that keep us from more of him because that's the greatest gift we can receive, more Jesus. Let's pray. God, we can get caught up on all the side issues of even a text like this. And in, in a lot of the things that we've been reading throughout this series, we can, we can start thinking, oh, we just need to make some moral adjustments. I just need to try harder this week. Jesus, the greatest way that we can become the people that you, you invite us to be is if we continue to look at you. We continue to take our eyes off those things that guide us away and be transfixed by your beauty and your perfection and your humility. And so this week, and it's going to happen this afternoon, it's going to happen maybe before we we leave the church this morning. There's going to be something in us. There's going to be a grain. There's going to be a kernel of judgment. I pray we be reminded of the prayer of King David. That you would create in us clean hearts who have a very clear understanding of who we are. And I pray, Jesus, that this week we would reflect that you, who had equality with God the Father, took on flesh. You gave it all up. And in humility, you took on flesh, knowing full well that would lead to a cross. And Scripture tells us you did it For the joy that was set before you, and that was us. You did that for us. That is our model. You are our model. May we live with a deep humility that is lived out in the way that we live with each other. We correct each other. We accept correction. Why? In order that we could walk closer to you and walk closer with you. May that be true of us this week. May we live in community in a way that loves each, other, loves each other so much that we will lean in. That feels so accepted that we will accept it when someone loves, leans in. And may we be the kind of community that others would look to and admire and want to be a part of because we live out this new humanity, this new kingdom that you've invited us into. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.